Our Bible reading this morning is from the book of Numbers. Numbers, uh, chapter 20. I'll read verses 1 through 13. That is found on page uh, 240. 240 in your pew Bibles. And this is a continuation, the second sermon in our series, Failures and Faithfulness. We look at uh, biblical characters who failed in significant ways and how God remained faithful through that. And today, uh, the failure we have is the uh, failure of Moses. The failure of Moses this is a story that happens in the middle, maybe a little bit closer to the end of the time when Moses is leading the people of Israel through the desert, and he has this failure. The first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh, and there Miriam died and was buried. Now, there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring us, the Lord's community, into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us out of Egypt into this terrible place? There's no grains, no figs, no grapevines, no pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the temple of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, Take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together, speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You'll bring water out of the rock for the community so that they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff, just from the Lord's presence, just as the Lord commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock? And Moses raised his arm, and he struck the rock twice with his staff, and water gushed out in the community, and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land that I give them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and where he was proved holy among them. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, let's admit that it's, um, and I think if you have a, if you have a heart in your chest, and I think most of you do, it's hard not to feel a little bit sorry for Moses in this story, right? It's hard not to feel just a little bit sorry for Moses in this story, or sorry, depending on <laughs> where you're from. And genuinely, I mean this. I, for years, right, he's been leading the Israelite people. This is essentially the work of his life, to lead his people out of Egypt, to lead them to the promised land, to cross the Jordan River and enter into the land of milk and honey. It's what he has given his life to do. And granted, at the beginning, he, he was a little resistant to that call, but once he gave in, once he said yes, he was all in. He has spent years and years and years doing really hard things for God and his people. First, he went into the presence of Pharaoh over and over again and said, let my people go, and he put up with Pharaoh's anger and resistance. He walked through the ten plagues, including the terrible tenth. 
And he taught Israel to celebrate the Passover. And after that Passover was done, he led them. He got them all rallied together and led them out of the country. And then they were at the shores of the Red Sea and everything looks lost. He managed to lead them through the Red Sea. And then out on Mount Sinai, when the, the mountain, remember, was covered with smoke and everyone was terrified, he went up the mountain anyway, met the Lord, came down with the law, taught the law to the people. He moved them through the desert. You know, every time the pillar of fire, the pillar of crowd moved, he had to rally these hundreds of thousands of people, say, okay, guys, let's get up. We're going to move again. He did it over and over again, year after year, moving the people slowly and inexorably to the promised land. And he did it all in the face of complaint. We don't have any water. We don't have any meat. Who made you the boss of us anyway? And through this whole thing, what kept Moses going was that vision, right? Getting to the promised land, crossing the river, lying down in those green pastures and drinking the milk and tasting the honey. It's his life's work. And in one impulsive moment, one moment of weakness, one moment of passion, it's all gone. Boom, just like that. And that's how failure is sometimes. That is the terrifying economics of failure. The ghastly proportion of it. You can spend your whole life building a business, whole life trying to make it work, you make one bad business mistake or you make one public thing that brings disgrace on yourself personally, it's all gone. You spend your whole life building trust in a relationship with your child and you work and nurture that love and then in an angry moment you say something or maybe in passion you do something foolish that wounds them and your relationship is never the same. How long does it take to build trust? A lifetime. How long does it take to destroy trust? It takes as long as it does to bite an apple or in this case, hit a rock twice. It's easy to see that, that, that Moses' failure here and the result of it is a kind of tragedy, and, and you feel sorry for him. What's less clear is why. why. Why is this such a big deal? Why did he fail? I mean, on the surface of it, that surface answer is really easy. He disobeyed, right? We can see that. God said to him calmly, go talk to the rock, speak to it, and water will come out. And instead, Moses got all angry, and he waved, and he hit it twice. He disobeyed. He didn't do what God commands. Okay. But, but why is that so serious? What, what, that's the surface disobedience. But what was the motivation? What, what was the reason Moses did that? Because that's really the heart of all our sin, right? What, our sin comes out of the heart, says Jesus. It's what comes out of the heart that is dark. So what is it that motivated Moses and made him change God's instructions there. And it's, it was a, just an honest mistake. Is there something darker going on? Because let's be honest, if you've heard this story before, and most of us have, I think the first time you heard it, you were like, wow. Um, it, it felt harsh for Moses. Why was God so hard on Moses here? Is it just a mistake or is there something darker and deeper and more serious? I think there is something darker and deeper and more serious. Obviously, there's something darker and deeper and more serious. And if you look closely at the text, I think you can see clues as to what that is. First, let's start with the pronouns. When Moses gets the water to come out of the rock, to whom does he give the credit? Listen, you rebels, he yells. 
Do we have to get water out of this rock for you? Do we have to do this? Who's getting credit for the miracle in the way Moses phrases it? He's pointing to himself. Him and Aaron. That we might be a tiny two-letter pronoun, but it, it signifies, it suggests that something essential, so there's been a shift in Moses' heart. So the light, instead of shining the light on God and his glory and his work, something in Moses has shifted, and now he's shining it on himself and Aaron and their work. He's adopted a kind of look-at-me mentality. It's almost like he's saying, hey, guys, do we have to save you again? We've saved your bacon so many times. You are so lucky to have us around. Where does your help come from? Your help is in the name of Moses and Aaron who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And by itself, maybe that we wouldn't suggest all that, but it's not just the pronoun. It's also the theater that Moses brings to the miracle, right? When God asks him to speak to the rock, God does not tell him to rebuke anyone, right? Just God seems to have compassion. These people are genuinely thirsty. God just says, speak to the rock. But Moses turns it into this theatrical production. Listen, you rebels. He raises the staff. He hits it twice. All that theater draws attention to himself, right? And his action and his initiative. Something has shifted in Moses' heart, I suggest to you. Why this shift? Why this shift from the spotlight on God to a look at me mentality? It's hard to know for sure. But maybe, and this is very human, maybe because Moses has been working so hard, so long on one specific thing that it was his life's work that he's starting to give himself credit for any success he has. We are all prone to this. Any one of us who spent a long, long time working hard at something that's really important to us, finding any level of success can start to give the credit to ourselves. Maybe you're a business person here who spent a lifetime building a successful business. Maybe you're a minister who's worked really, really hard to serve the church. Maybe you're a parent who's been extremely diligent to raise your kids right and teach them the paths of the Lord and now they're following in those paths. Or maybe you're just a regular human being who just, you have been so self-controlled and obedient so that you have a decent reputation in this world. The longer you do that and the harder you work at it, the easier it is for that subtle shift to happen from giving glory to God to look at me and taking the credit. So one minute, Moses is a humble servant of God. The next minute, he's shining the light on himself. It's a short little trip from thank you, Lord, to look at me. But the difference between those two mindsets, that's what I want you to see, the difference between those mindsets is night and day. The thank you, Lord, mindset is, is, is a burden that is light and easy. The look at me mindset is a terrible burden. And if, if, if that's how you live your life, if you put your success and your blessing on your own shoulders, that is a terrifying burden that will crush you. You may succeed on Monday and feel good about yourself, but Tuesday morning, the world will ask you to succeed again, and they'll ask you to succeed plus one. I went to the symphony on, um, on Friday night. I just thought of this this morning, this example. And it was a, a strange, well, strange. It was a nice symphony concert. The, the orchestra played. They did really well. But then they also had the circus performers in there. So while the orchestra played, you had circus performers who were doing these acrobatics. 
And there's a kind of a dynamic that happens in all these acrobatic routines. So one of the routines was a guy who was lying on his back and he had his feet up in the air and his brother, you could tell it was his brother, he was flipping him around on his feet. So the first time he does it, he does one flip and everyone goes, wow. But then the subtle expectation, right, of the whole crowd is, show us something more. Not just one flip, now we want more. So now he has two. And then two with a flip. And then three somersaults with a flip and a twist. And then two, three, four, five somersaults, and then you land on the guy's feet and stand in midair, and then you land on one foot. And the audience keeps expecting more. If you have a look at me mindset, the audience will keep expecting more. One more thing, one more trick, and it will crush you. And when you fail, which you will, now that you've trained all the eyes to look at you and admire your success, your failure will be unbearable. You've trained everyone to look at you and now their gaze will crush you with shame. Here's the truth. If your children are healthy and successful, it's not you. It's a gift of God. If your business is successful and growing, it's not you. It's a gift of God. If you have a great reputation with all your friends and people like you in this world, that's not you. That's a gift of God. So Moses fails. That fundamental thing shifts in his heart. He goes to look at me. He's full of pride. He's full of anger. He approaches the rock. He whacks it. He does this thing that is disobedient to God and prideful. And what happens? The water flows anyway. Moses is a mess. He's angry. He's full of pride. He doesn't do what God commands. The water flows anyway. Every human being in this story is, is not particularly admirable, right? The people are whiny. No question about that. Moses and Aaron are unfaithful. It doesn't matter. The water flows anyway. If you want a picture of the way God is faithful when we fail, there's nothing better than this story. We fail. God is faithful, and he makes his water flow anyway. And when I think of that, that's, that's wonderful good news, but it also, just on a very practical level, makes me think of a couple things. First, I think when we read this story, we learn something about how to relate to our leaders. Our leaders are, of course, broken, frail people who, who will fail. So your parents, your pastors, your teachers, whoever, any leader in your life, broken, frail people who will fail. And when they fail, they should be held accountable, right? right? They, shouldn't, they should be held accountable as Moses was obviously held accountable in this passage. But their failure cannot stop the water from flowing because the water doesn't come from them. It comes from the rock. Here's an example I heard from David French, Ravi Zacharias. Okay, Ravi Zacharias, you know that name. He was a longtime apologist, Christian speaker. I uh, used to go to conferences, YouTube videos, lots and lots of people, and I'm sure many people here, um, benefited from Ravi Zacharias. Well, many of you know that just before he died, it all came out that he had done terribly abusive things to a series of women, like really bad things. And he was held accountable, and his organization is still being held accountable for that, and it should be. But if you're a person who in your youth went and heard Ravi Zacharias speak, and that moved you and helped you, 
Or if you watched a video sometime and what he said, it felt like the Holy Spirit taught you something. You don't have to throw that all away because the water doesn't come from Ravi Zacharias. It comes from the rock. Maybe you grew up in a dysfunctional church with a pastor who was not just not very good at his job, but could be cruel, mean, hurtful, hurt your family. But it was also in that church uh, where you first heard about Jesus and where other people nurtured your face. And even that pastor sometimes told you things about God you did not know. You don't have to doubt the excellence or the goodness of those things because the water didn't come from him, it came from the rock. Maybe, this is hardest of all, it was a family member, a parent. Someone who sat on your bed and taught you to pray and first told you about Jesus. And then later in life, wounded you profoundly. Or wounded the family and left. You do not have to doubt the goodness of what you learned on your bedside. Because the water did not come from that person. The water came from the rock. The water comes from the rock. Which brings me to the second thing I want to say about this story. If I were your middle school teacher and giving you an assignment, I said to you for literature, list all the characters in this story. You would probably say, okay, God is a character, and Moses and Aaron and the people. There, I've listed all the characters. Well, you would be wrong. You would not get full marks for that answer. Why? Because there's another character, the rock. The rock is a character in this story. You say, why the rock? The rock's not a character. Yes, it is. It is because Paul said so. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4. Listen to what Paul says. The people who went through the desert all ate the same spiritual food, and they all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Jesus is in this story. Jesus is in that rock. Now you think, what? Paul is, is, is drawing on an ancient Jewish tradition which said that when God, was, God accompanied the Israelites, he didn't just accompany them in the pillar of fire or in the pillar of cloud, he was also in that rock, which shows up repeatedly giving water in the stories, right? God was in that. And Paul is taking that and saying, it's not just God, it was Jesus. Jesus was in that rock. Jesus was giving the water out of that rock. And when you think about it, it makes a kind of sense. Because what happens to the rock in this story is what happened to Jesus. Jesus came to this earth to give living water. He says to the woman on the well, believe in me and I will give you living water to drink, right? He came to pour out living water. But the people didn't believe him. They rejected him. And what did they do when they rejected him? They struck him repeatedly. Struck him with a staff, as a matter of fact. And yet, even though that rock was abandoned and rejected, on the cross, the rock poured out living water for all our sins. When Moses came to that rock full of anger and pride and hit it two times, he was pointing ahead to the coming of Jesus in a way that he couldn't possibly have understood. At the beginning of this sermon, I talked about the cruel dynamics, the cruel economics of failure, right? How one failure can just a lifetime of work. That's not always true. That's not true if you build your life on the rock. Because if your life is not built on the foundation of your success, then you're no, none of your failures can ever break it down. 
Let me try to say that again. If your life is not built on the foundation of your success, none of your failure can ever destroy it. And your life is not built on the foundation of your success and on your work. It's built on the rock, the rock of ages cleft for you. How'd that work out in Moses' life? Moses never enters the promised land. This prophecy comes true. The closest he gets is that story, right? He goes up on Mount Nebo, and the Lord gives him a vision. He can look way in the distance. He can see the green pastures of the promised land, tantalizingly close, shimmering in the distance. And then on that mountain, Moses dies. He's taken up into heaven. It's a really poignant moment, right? This man, he's so close, but he doesn't get there. That's the last time we see Moses in the Old Testament. There's one other time we see Moses. Remember when that is? Story of the Transfiguration. Jesus goes up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John, and he's transfigured. He doesn't just appear in his normal earthly state. He appears in his heavenly state. And who appear with him in that heavenly state? Elijah and Moses. All his fear and anger and pride are gone. And he is smiling because he's in the promised land. He's with his Lord and his rock. Which is such a hopeful vision for all of us failures who belong to Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for the unshakable hope and the unshakable foundation you give us. We, we know, Lord, that we're tempted to put our trust in ourselves and we're tempted to glory in our success. Thank you, Lord, that you keep pulling us back to yourself and your rock and for um, salvation that is able to absorb all of our failures. Lord, we, we give you thanks and praise for that. To, you, to your name, not ours, be all the glory. Amen.